Thanks, John. Thanks very much. Good morning, everybody. Just welcome you along today. And um, yeah, we just welcome you along if you're visiting as well, if it's your first time here. I think we have at least one first time visitor. Baby Joseph is outside. I saw Nick and Cassie are here with their new baby, which is awesome. Um, so yeah, welcome, you guys. Can't actually see you from here, but I saw you before. <laughs> um, so it's cool. It's just awesome to see them. Um, yeah, and yeah, so we, if you missed last week, we are starting a new um, series just for three weeks um, on family. We're calling it Intergenerational Church, is kind of really the idea of a family that's intergenerational, and, and we'll talk about even more than that, not just intergenerational, but it makes up of all different people and cultures and, and nationalities, as that's the vision for God's church. And Emily did an awesome job last week of just sharing about the differences. Um, any luck with that slide? That's all right, no worries. Um, Emily did a great job last week just sharing about some of the differences in the generations. Uh, if you missed last week's message, I really encourage you to go back and have a look at it, because just in our current day and age, over the last 50, 100 years or so, there's just been so much change that now people who have lived in the same place all their life, but they're born at different times, have very different experiences of the world, and now we're calling them generations. And actually, what we saw last week is even in our congregation, there's a mix of generations that have quite different things that are important to them, quite different experiences of life, different language even, and they, th that can be make things difficult to work together and to get along. And um, Emily kind of shared that, that there is some difficulties with that, but there's still God's heart is that we be intergenerational, that we be together, that we be one. There's actually one statistic that um, I did, went to a thing last year or two where um, Barna, in partnership with World Vision, did some research of um, young people, sort of 25 or 18 to 35-year-olds around the world, because it was with World Vision, they had access to all people that World Vision work with, so it's different cultures, but same generation. They did all this research, and one interesting thing that they found was that people of the same generation, f but different culture, feel more connected, that younger people of a different culture, but same generation, feel more connected than the same culture, but different generation which is a bit complicated, but it's quite profound. It means that the research showed that younger people feel more connected to someone in Brazil or Germany or Africa, someone else of their same age, completely different culture, different language, right, but same age, than they do connected to someone of the same culture, someone born in Australia, someone born in the same suburb, but who's 50 or 60 years older than them. So that, that's quite a profound thing, really. And we even kind of saw that with Pays, right? Like these guys from Pays came from other cultures and just integrate really well into our community, particularly connecting with young people really easy. They're from a different culture, different background, um, but, but connected. Whereas um, people of the same culture but different generations can actually find it really hard to communicate, which means we're actually, in a sense, talking about bringing cultures together. Like, to be intergenerational in many ways is to be multicultural or different groups with different language, with different things that are important coming together. And that can be difficult. And sometimes, and Emily said last week, maybe there's a temptation, it's easier just to separate. It's easier just to have a church for this age group and this age group or this culture and that culture and just to have things split. And sadly, the church often does that. And particularly the Protestant church, I suppose, has a history of splitting. If something's not going well, we just start a new church, and then we disagree with this person, we just start a new church, and a new church, and we have all these churches with all these denominations, and we're all so separate. And again, it's just not God's heart. 
And even though it over, can be overwhelming and can be difficult, how do we get along with differences and, and, and divisions and, and um, complexity? What I want to do today is, I guess, share a bit of a different perspective um, from the New Testament and from the context of the New Testament, because they were struggling with the same thing. Maybe not so much generations, but definitely cultures and definitely differences that needed to come together. Um, even in what Gretel just shared before, in that story of Jesus and a Samaritan woman, is these two groups that aren't supposed to talk to each other. There's a, there's a big wall of division there, and Jesus broke that wall. Um, in the New Testament, after Jesus is risen from the dead, and, and all of a sudden, all these other groups are now in the church, effectively. Before it was Jews, and you could join, but you kind of had to become a Jew. But now it's Jews and all other nations so people who are circumcised and people who aren't circumcised, that's like the distinctive thing of being a Jew. People who follow the Jewish food laws and people who don't, people who are slaves and people who are free. And now, all of a sudden, they find themselves sitting around the same table in the same house because they have the same Lord, Jesus. And these are people who would not normally talk together, but they're now forced, in a sense, to be together and called to be together because of the gospel. And Paul spoke into that situation a profound message. We read this in Colossians just read a couple of verses before. If you can just click on to the next one, and then I should be able to do it. Or maybe not. That's okay. Um, it says this in Colossians. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. This is the idea that the church is a new creation community. We've taken off old ways, and we've put on new ways. And he makes this profound statement into that context. He says, here... There is no Gentile or Jew. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all and is in all. That's like a revolutionary statement that Paul makes. Like we kind of maybe just skip over that. But these are big divisions that were in that culture, right? Now all these people are together in one group. And Paul goes so far as to say, actually, there's none of those divisions exist anymore. They're gone. Because the one thing that we have in common, the one thing that matters above all, is Christ. And we've taken off the old and we've put on the new. You see this also in Galatians. If you just go to the next one, there he says it again in Galatians. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the idea that as through baptism is symbolizing that we are dead to the old ways, we're now clothed with Christ, and that identity that we have in Christ far surpasses any other previous identity, so that if we meet other people with their identity in Christ, we are one, we are united. Uh, David Guzik on this, um, there's this quote from him. He says, the dividing line between Jew and Greek is not the only dividing line erased. Regarding our standing before God in Jesus, every dividing line is erased. Now that Jesus is our identity, that is more important than any priority, prior identity we possessed. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And this is the perspective that I want to bring today, the perspective that we are one in Christ. That's the message of the gospel. That's the reality of the church. And this is true for us as well. And it's also true, right, that there's multiple differences and different people that make up our congregation, that make up the global church. 
But the greater truth is that we are one. Um, even last week, right, like when Emily went through the different generations, she got people to put up their hands for which generation you're part of. And that was so great and so helpful. And, and it's true, right, that we are a part of different generations that are represented here, boomers and, and Gen Y and Gen Z and, and Alpha, and we went through all of that last week. And that's totally true. But there's another perspective from the kingdom because of Jesus that here... There is no boomer, there is no Gen X, there is no Gen Y, there is no Alpha, there is no Gen Z, you're all one in Christ, and Christ is all and in all, because those identities, generational identities, can become too strong. They're true, it's not that the differences disappear, they're still there, but the greater identity is our identity in Christ that far surpasses all of those other identities, and that's a common identity, and it means that we are actually one in Christ. Christ. The things that unite us are way greater than the things that divide us. In a similar way, someone of same age, same generation, same culture, someone we might be able to connect with really easily, we have more in common, right, but they're not a Christian. We have more in common with someone massively different generation, different culture, different language. If they believe in Christ, we have more in common with them, right? Like, we're one. We're united in the body with the same God. And we need both perspectives, right? We need to understand our differences, but we need to understand the priority of our oneness. And the the, the awesome thing about this is that what Paul says and, and the truth of the gospel is not that we have to work really hard to be one. It's that if we're in Christ, we are one. We're made one. He has this one body, this one Lord. And then the, then the call is to work it out, not to have to try to make it happen. Because the kingdom, right, is not divided. Like our perspective is this perspective of the kingdom. The kingdom is not broken up based on generations. The kingdom is not broken up based on cultures. That's not what heaven will be like with all different groups that are separate and not, not talking to each other, right? Like that's not the kingdom. The kingdom is one people under God. Jesus is creating a people for himself, and that's the church. That's the greater reality. So Paul goes on then and then says on that basis, right, that we are one, that these distinctions that though they're present, they in a sense are pushed to the side and they're they're immersed into the greater reality of our oneness in Christ. Therefore, we need to live from that place, which means living in love. He says this in Colossians 3. Therefore, right, so on the basis of that, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves. He talked about putting on new clothes and then to clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All relational words. These are about relating to each other. Different people relating together. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. <clears throat> this is an idea, this is a new community. It's a new creation community, people who have a new life in Jesus, but they're very different, right? And there's going to be misunderstandings, and there's going to be sin, and there's going to be people hurt each other, and there's going to be difficulties, but they're still one. So what's so important is to have this attitude of kindness, compassion, that's ultimately summed up in love. Love is what brings the unity, so love is the highest value. Um, there's a passage in First Peter we're going to kind of look at alongside this one in Colossians because it's kind of similar. 
Peter says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So again, this is the idea, right? And like different groups, Jews, Gentiles, slave-free, what's going to need to happen is a lot of love and seeking the good of the other and seeking to listen and understand the other. Um, Hospitality, right, is about making space for people, sharing life with people, supporting each other. And Peter's writing this, and he can see that, well, yeah, there's going to be sin in the community, right? People are going to stuff up. People are going to hurt each other. People are going to be misunderstood. So love is so important because it can cover that. Love can be greater than that. It covers over sin. Also, people are going to be trying to show hospitality, and they're going to sometimes get frustrated with it, right? So he says, show hospitality without grumbling. Do it generously. Don't get fed up with it. So these, these encouragements to love then obviously link in with one of the really famous verses in Corinthians where Paul says these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. This is such an important thing. We see love is most important in this community. Love is the way to actually work out that oneness, right? There's the reality of the oneness, but then there's a need to guard it and to build it up and to grow together as one, and love is what does that. This is not really talking about a feeling, like the word love is not that helpful for us, it's not a feeling, it's an attitude and an action of seeking the good of the other, and particularly in the church, of other people who may be quite different to us, to, to love them and seek their benefit. Um, we started the marriage course this week at Rivers, which was awesome, on Thursday night, um, we had 11 couples here just having a little date and, and having some content from um, Alpha about marriage, and, and it's been, it was a really fun night and really great, and um, yeah, one of the things, it was kind of the first night, so it was kind of just about sort of an introduction to the course and, and some basic sort of foundation of marriage and so forth, and one thing they did was talk through stages of marriage, and it was talking about the first stage, and um, the, the, this first stage is called adjusting, because it's this idea of two people with very different life upbringings and, and backgrounds, maybe, and the values are now one and they need to adjust their lives to each other and actually grow in that oneness that, that's there when they're married. And one of the things that, that they said was that part of what that first stage is really important for is to understand that you actually can't change your partner. You can only change yourself. And what needs to happen is that you work on yourself to love the other. Whereas if you focus on the other and how you're going to change them so that you can love them, if two people are doing that to each other, it's just going to go bad. But if one person even says, well, I'm just going to love you regardless, then that can lead to oneness. And that, that's what this love is talking about. It's actually a love that loves people even if they don't love back. Because like, it's easy to say, if you change or if, if you do things the way I want, then I'll love you. But, but this kind of love that Paul's talking about is the love that loves because of God. Or in Colossians says, forgive as God forgave. It's God comes to us and then we give to others. And, and you can imagine that. If there's this community of people who are diverse yet all are committed to loving each other no matter what, that, that can grow into a, a huge amount of oneness and closeness. It's actually in those communities, and in particularly in a community where, where people maybe are difficult to love or are different, where love actually grows. And if the goal is to grow in love, we need to be in community. And we need to be not just in communities where everyone's like us and it's really easy to love them because they're just close friends. Like, we need to be in a community which is diverse 
And actually, we need to trust God. We actually need to grow in our ability to love. There's actually an opportunity, particularly in the church, when there's differences and we're committed to each other, to have to grow in love, grow in, our, in the muscle, I guess, of love, which is a good thing. Because in many ways, in other parts of society and, and in life now, you can kind of just live your life by yourself if you want, just around the people that think like you, that are just the same as you. You can kind of do that. You can do that online. You can block people that you don't want talking to you. Like, you can just live in your own little bubble. And, and in some ways, being in a community where you kind of can't control that, you agree, right, on the big things, we agree on Christ, but there may be lots of differences, that's actually really good because it forces us to grow in love together. This community is also so important, and intergenerational community is also so important because even as Gretel said before, we thirst for love, that we thirst for that kind of connection and community, and we need it from God, but we also need it from each other. Um, and sadly, less and less people are getting that in our society. Uh, loving, committed communities and families uh, are not really going that well in a lot of ways. And, and there's an opportunity in the church to be a family that loves all people that grows together and is a safe place that people can come and receive love. I just want to share a couple of stats. This is particularly about young people, um, but it's probably relevant to all people as well. This is, again, from that same kind of research. It's called the Connected Generation Report, talking just about how lonely young people are, which may, maybe you might not expect. But this is, um, this is one quote. If we go to the next one, there um, it says, despite being a hyper-connected and globally-minded generation, many young adults say they feel lonely. Just one in three, 33%, says they feel deeply cared for by those around them. Here, however, though, is some good news for churches. Strong levels of connectivity are associated with faith in general and with Christianity in particular. So, so only one in three young people say they feel deeply cared for. Two in three feel alone. But those in church... It's, it's better, right? And there's still those in churches that struggle, but it's even better, right? So the, actually the church, a loving community, is a great way to support people in need in our society. There's also this research, the next one, it's from the ABC the last year or two. They did this survey of Australia. And one of the amazing findings was that the loneliest people are young people, which is, you wouldn't expect that. But this is what the research found. They said, among those aged 18 to 24... Only a third, 32%, rarely or never feel lonely. More than a quarter, 30% said they feel lonely frequently or always. This contrasts sharply with the situation for older people, over two-thirds of whom, 71%, rarely or never feel lonely. The fact that our image of a lonely person is typically someone of advanced years suggests we need to update our data and our thinking. Now, this is obviously not saying that if you're young, you're lonely, and if you're old, you're not, like, right? Like, there's young people who are not, and there's, there's older people who are lonely as well. But it's interesting that there's, out of, like, that research, the, the main group was younger people. And they're, they're disconnected, even though connected online. And a church that's intergenerational, that is welcoming, that's supportive, that's a community of love, can meet a core need that is right now in our world. So it's, there's a huge opportunity for the church where we're to be a place that knows how to do community where more and more young people just have no idea how to do community and they need models and they need support and they need encouragement. 
So this is a core need that we need to grow in love, and we also have an opportunity to meet that need, and not just for young people, for all people. All people need community and connection, and the church can be that place as well, all ages. So we see we're one in Christ. Love is most important, but this is not the end goal, right? The end goal is not catering to one generation over another. The end goal is not even just like getting all the generations together and just having this perfect unity. That's not the end goal. The end goal is not some human community that exists for its own sake so that we can achieve a goal. That's not, that's not the goal. We see this in this passage that we're reading in Colossians, also in the passage that we're reading in First Peter. They go on, Peter and Paul, from these, these instructions to break out into praise and recognize that actually this is all ultimately for God. I read this in Colossians 3, uh, 15. We read this before. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. He's gone from your one in Christ, right? These divisions are gone, be a community of love. And then he starts to talk about this community of love. It's just to be a community where we talk about Jesus all the time, right? We encourage each other about Jesus. We share songs about Jesus. We sing diverse songs about Jesus. We share teachings about Jesus. And everything that we, we do is to be to make Jesus great, right? And, and, and even as he's writing, he starts to praise God. We see this in First Peter, um, the next passage as well, the similar a kind of passage that goes in a similar direction. He starts talking about gifts. He says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. As he's writing, he just breaks out into praise of God and, and that he has the glory and the power. We see that actually God's glory is the goal. The goal is not just intergenerational church for intergenerational church. The, the goal is not be a family to be a family. The goal is God's glory. The goal, the goal is to be united in this new creation community, which is made up of diverse people with different gifts working together, serving each other, serving the world, that God may be made famous. And the cool thing is that this is our vision as a church, right? Like, our vision as a church is to see the kingdom of God realized by being a growing family of devoted followers of Jesus who love him wholeheartedly and live as his people in the world. The vision is about the kingdom being revealed through being a family. So the end goal is not a family that just exists for its own sake. The end goal is a family that reveals God's kingdom and God's greatness, that actually reveals that there's a whole other realm, that heaven is a reality, and we get to experience God's reality now and into the f- future. And as I said before, right, there's no divisions in the kingdom. Like, the kingdom's not going to be broken up based on groups. In heaven, we're not going to have separate groups that don't talk to each other or do different things or, or don't get along. Like, they will still, I think there'll still be differences. The, the cultural differences will be present, but they'll be united in praise and glory to God. So if that's the future, we're to express the kingdom now. Like, if we want to reveal the kingdom, the, the church needs to reflect the diversity that will be present then. 
and reflect the unity that will be present then. As well, for God's glory and His kingdom's sake, we need all people to contribute. If, if you're in Christ, you have gifts and you have abilities and you have ways that you can serve, even if it's only in prayer or encouragement or simply by your presence, or maybe it's in other ways. But as, as Peter goes on, he encourages each people to use the gifts they have to serve for the sake of Jesus and His kingdom. Includes reminding each other, encouraging each other in Him. This is kind of the vision that is actually for God and His sake. And actually having a community that, that looks quite different. Again, like New Testament, that was revolutionary. Like Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free people who are friends in Christ. They're still a slave, right? And this person's free, maybe rich. And they sit down and they eat together and they're one in Christ. Like that was revolutionary. That reveals God's glory and the fact that something different is going on in this community. It's not just a normal human community. That's the vision for what the church is to be. It's not just a human community. It's a community of the Spirit that actually God is revealed in the midst of it. But like we said last week, it, it, it looks hard, right? Because <laughs> there's misunderstanding. There's division in the church. Even still, churches often, there's so many denominations and, and groups generations, cultures, and there's so much division in our world. And in many ways, at the moment, the divisions in our world are just getting bigger, right? People seem to be separating more rather than coming together. So this vision seems hard, maybe even impossible. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. We believe in his kingdom and his reality, and it's his work. And we trust him for what he alone can do. And ultimately, it's a spiritual battle. There's actually forces that want to divide. There's there's spiritual forces that want to separate. If God's heart is for oneness and for unity and for love, his enemy's goal is to divide, to split, to deceive, to keep separate. Actually, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, as Paul talks about in Ephesians. It's about rulers and authorities and forces that are against the unity of the church that God wants to create. But those forces have been defeated. They've been defeated by the cross of Christ. There are powers at work to divide, but they have been defeated. Jesus is Lord. His kingdom has come, and it is coming. And we're invited to be a part of it. We will be a part of it fully one day. We're invited to live in it now, not live bound by forces that want to divide and separate, but actually live in the reality of Jesus King, that he is Lord, and he wants to unite us in love. That one day we will be united in love as one body, declaring his praise for eternity. And his vision is that we start now and we head in that direction now. So just go through those last points again. So we are one in Christ. Love is most important, and God's glory is the goal. I'm just going to pray in a, in a second, then we're going to sing in, in praise, and um, then, yeah, Emily's going to share again next week sort of around some more practical ways of how, how do we really work out how to communicate and work through differences in generations as well. But I just suppose one encouragement from the day is, is perhaps even at church or, or um, Thinking about this intergenerational community idea, when differences come up, when, when talking to someone else and it's like, well, I really don't agree with that, or that's really strange, or 
I don't really know about that. Like when, when that kind of, that friction comes up at, at some point, I just encourage you to remember these truths. Remember, oh, that's okay, hang on. No, we're one, right? Yes, there's this difference, but we're one in Christ. Let's, let's remember that. We need to love. Let's be thankful for the community and the intergenerational community that we have now. Like, it's awesome that we have multiple generations together now, and we can be thankful for that and pray for growth in unity, love, and diversity. So I just invite you to stand with me, and then let's pray, and then, then we'll sing. We just thank you, Jesus, um, that you are Lord, you are victorious, and you are King. Um, you've rescued us, and yeah, it's just we've read, Lord, you've, we've taken off old clothes and we've put on Christ, and we take off old identities and we have an identity in Christ, and just thank you that we are your children by faith. Thank you, God, that we have a corporate identity as your body, that we are united, that we are one And Lord, we just really ask your grace that you would fill us with that revelation, fill us with love for each other. Just ask God that your church would just be an example of your kingdom and your glory. People would see something different among us that's only possible because of you. We just ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.